Our topic uh, this morning is about fighting. Uh, it's it's uh, uh, the title that I had running through my head was pugilistic prayer, which is just a way of saying uh, boxing prayer. And the question that I want us to explore and wrestle with this morning is what are the ways that we have prevailed against God without a fight? Uh, so let, let me start with a, a couple of illustrations. So there's, there's things that we give up on in life and uh, there's a good reason for it. Like we've all given up on ideas or passions and things we've had in our life. Uh, for example, uh, the, a couple of weeks ago, my son, well, he said this, he, he, he found this thing that he likes to say now, so he said it a few times. So he gets mad because I put him in timeout because he hit his sister Malia or something like that. And he'll say, um, I'm not going to give you a Father's Day card this year. Because uh, he, he really likes to make people cards and stuff. And when he does stuff he shouldn't do, and he say, how are you going to make it right, Benjamin? He's like, I can make him a card. You know, that's kind of his go-to. So when he gets mad at me for parenting him, that's what he says. He's like, I'm not going to make you a Father's Day card from now until forever. He'll say things like that. So he's probably not going to hold, you know, hold on to that idea. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad for that. I'll be really sad if he does. And that would be also pretty amazing. He might have a gift of memory there. But um, there's, there's other ideas that, um, like for, for example, when I was 19, I told my dad that I was going to soon, uh, after this semester of college, I was going to drop out of college and go to stuntman school. <laughs> and I can remember the tone of voice of my dad's on the phone. It was a voice I had never heard from him before. It was pleading. And, and, and it was, Jamin, come on, just don't do that, son. Just at least get your associate's degree or something. It was, I can't imagine what he was experiencing in that moment of all his hard work. And his son says he's going to stuntman school. So this was an idea I shouldn't have held on to, and I didn't. Um, that's why I'm able to walk and move around freely here with you this morning. But there, there are other ideas, other things that, um, that are good things that each of us, we find ourselves giving up on in life. And sometimes it happens without a fight. Sometimes it happens just subtly one day we find ourselves saying things and doing things that show that we've given up on good things. We, we, we begin to to realize something hardens inside of us and says, well, this is just the way the world is. So this, is, this world is really unsafe. And so what I'm gonna do with all of my anxiety, I've experienced so many people violating my safety in one way or another. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to become as controlling as I can with my environment so that no one can violate my safety again. Because what I have decided is this is not a world where I can trust another person. And so we've given up um, that, that idea that we could have faith in God and other people. And so we, we control. Or, or maybe we've decided like people don't really help you in this life. And so I'm, not, I'm done asking for help. I'm going to do life on my own. I'm going to figure things out on my own. 
And then what happens is we, we end up spiraling into just depression after depression in our life whenever we, we come up against something that we can't handle, that we can't move against on our own. And instead of calling out for help, we know better to do than to do that. And so we simply retreat and find ourselves going low into these depressive states. Or maybe, maybe you're just angry all the time. Maybe, maybe you just look around and everything in the world just makes you so angry and you've given up thinking that you could exist in this type of world in any other way. Whatever it might be, I would gather to assume, I would assume that all of us have an area or areas in our lives, whether something externally or something internally, where we've given up without a fight. And one of the themes that I see in these lectionary readings here is around this idea of fighting, of continuing to fight, and that underneath and inside of a person who is willing to fight is this thing we've all been given by God. This thing that is in every single human being from the moment we are born, that we cry out with, and that thing is hope. So we all have to, in one way or another, deal with this continuing, moving, pressing in our chest, this feeling, this sense that things could be different, that there is hope for something to be different. But the problem is so often in order to access this type of energy to move and to fight against what is requires pain, a lot of pain. And in both of these passages, I see a person who has had either had lots of pain inflicted upon them or who has inflicted a lot of pain on others. And now the What's that phrase? The, the, the chickens come home to roost. That's what it is. And if we're honest with ourselves, we would find ourselves in both of those categories. We've both hurt other people, caused other people pain, and we've been hurt. And so I think there's something here for us around this idea of hope. And what I also hope is that none of you go out of here today saying, yes, I am going to become a stuntman. No, I am going to now at 40 leave my career and go and be a professional actor or something like that. That's not what I'm getting at here, okay? Hope. This guy, Jacob, he was a trickster, uh, a deceiver, uh, somebody who always found an angle and a way to get what he wanted. He wasn't necessarily the strong, he wasn't a strong person physically. He wasn't an imposing person. He wasn't a person who could demand and get his way, but he knew how to manipulate the environment around him to get favorable outcomes for himself. And in this story we see, we, we find him at an impasse with his life where all of his tricks are about to catch up with him because his brother, his older brother is on the way 
with 400 men with him, it's not looking good for Jacob because Jacob has deceived his brother in so many ways, taken so many things that were rightfully his through his deception. But like all of us, we were Jacob and we are born into a certain kind of life, into a certain family, into a certain environment. And there's things that are given to us There's things that are assumed about us from the beginning, from the world around us that define us. And Jacob is coming to the point where what has been true of him since he was young is now about to stop working and maybe end his entire life. Let's take a quick look in Genesis and read the crazy story of Jacob's birth and see what that looked like for him. How did things start out for him? So in, it's on the screen, uh, Genesis 25, verse 21 through 26, we see this. So Jacob's father, Isaac, here prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau, which means red. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Unfortunately for Jacob, the Hebrew idiom for one who grasps grasps at the heels, meaning is deceiver. So, you know, I don't know. I I I actually wrestled in high school. um, And one of the things that you want to do in wrestling to take somebody down is to get low enough where you can scoop your hand up behind the back of their foot, their heel. And Lift him up. Benjamin's figured out how to do that, my son, and, and, and I'm trying to stop him from doing that to other kids. It can really hurt yourself when you fall down. Um, and so from the very beginning, we see that there were things imprinted onto Jacob about his life, about what he should be and how he should respond to the world around him. He wasn't going to be strong but he could still get his way and deceive the people around him into getting what he wanted. And he became incredible at this. He became really good to the point where he, this wasn't any debate that he ever had with God. He just thought, this is, what it, this is what life is. This is the cards I've been dealt, and this is how I'm going to continue to move through the world. So for Jacob, he'd already beaten God. He, he, he'd already come to the conclusions. He'd already won, in essence, about what life was supposed to be like for him until it didn't. Until he came to this moment here that we see in the passage where his brother's coming for him and in the night, he gets involved in this wrestling match. 
And this is such a strange thing. It's something, if you grew up in church, you're really familiar with this idea. I also think it's an extremely encouraging thing. And, and once you start to see it, you, you can see it all over the text, all over the Bible um, of this sort of wrestling match taking place with God and with God's people. And so we have this guy, his his name being Jacob, the deceiver, the one who grabs the heel. And he, he set everything up, like he's hedged all his bets. He separated his possessions, his people that he has with him, his servants. He's got two wives, separates them. He separates all his stuff up and he makes these sort of like lines of, of how people are going to see Esau in hopes that like he'll survive, maybe, maybe he'll be able to work it out and wing it and figure it out with Esau, but it's not looking good. And so we have this, this wrestling match. It, it, seems, it seems like almost like a dream that he's wrestling with this man. And if we look back at the passage, what it says about him is that he was winning this match and, and, what, and what we're made to believe, although it's not explicit, is that he's in a wrestling match with God, with some, some manifestation of God. This is an absolutely scandalous idea we have here in the first book of the Bible, that a man would wrestle with God and prevail. But we do it all the time. We beat God all the time. We, before we even step onto the mat. We say, Psh, no, this is the way it is, God. You can say all you want in the Psalms and everywhere else or whatever. This is what life is like for me. These, this is the way I got to do it. Like, I have to control all this stuff. If I'm not angry about this, who will be angry? If I don't tell everybody I meet about all the hurt that I've been through and all the ways people have wronged me, how will they know? How will they be able to know why I am the way I am? So I just gotta, I gotta keep doing those things. But for Jacob in this moment, he wrestled with God all night. And so for Jacob... I think this wrestling match, maybe up until the, almost the very end, was about him still trying to get his way, still trying to push things forward with God and say, this is what you're like, God. This is what life is like, God. And this is what it is. And so God couldn't beat him. How, how can you? When somebody already has all the answers and you try to be with them and you try to comfort them, they already know, nope, that doesn't work. Nope, this doesn't work. This is just what it's like. I already know I've done it. But then something happens in this verse here where it says that um, he could not prevail, the man wrestling with him. He sa It says in uh, verse 25, when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Jacob continues to wrestle. Uh, he continues to pull out all the stops, all the tricks he knows, all the heel grabs he can muster. But he's been injured. 
And as the story continues, when the wrestling match ends, the picture we get is Jacob limping back to his family with the son coming up behind him, forever changed. And, and what I find fascinating about this story is that it says Jacob was wrestling all night with this man, this personification, this representation of God. But it only took a touch from this figure to wound Jacob. Isn't that fascinating? How does that work? It's, this is about pain. This is about sitting with something that you've decided was true about you, that maybe ostracizes you, makes relationships difficult with you. If you're willing to look hard enough and long enough at the patterns in your own life, the kind of conflicts and problems you keep getting into with other people at your job, with your peers, with uh, churches, with small groups and things like that, and being willing to look hard enough in your marriages, in your friendships, in your dating relationships, and see yourself. You see, Jacob already had a limp. Don't, don't, don't get it twisted. He already had a limp. It was God that showed him that he had a limp. Everybody else could see it. Everybody else saw that Jacob was living life with one arm tied behind his back, trying to solve everything with one set of skills, and it wasn't enough. But we all do that. We all are willing to settle, to play with the cards we were dealt, because it's so painful to admit we don't got it. We don't got enough. And what's interesting is that it's not, it's not in spite of this that we find God blessing Jacob. It's not in spite of his deceitfulness and the way he operated in life, but it was actually through it. It's actually through it. God doesn't make Jacob clean up. He just shows him how dirty he is. He just shows him his wound. And through that, he is blessed to the point where he is given a new identity, a new name, no longer just the deceiver, the one who grabs the heel and deceives, but still a wrestler, still someone who engages with a physical movement and change. Israel, to wrestle and strive with God and with man and overcome I think in this passage, there's something here about this limp that's for us. And I think there's an idea here that we're seeing unfold and revealed, and it's that we fight. We fight through these things. We don't accept. We continue to hope. We have to revive the hope in our hearts and our minds in the places where it has died, and we need help to do it. And so we would fight until we limp. We fight until we limp, and hold on until you realize it's your blessing. I want to say that again. We fight until we limp, and we hold on until we realize that it's actually our blessing. The blessing is that you're not enough, that there's a hope that's been put inside of you that is bigger than you, and it's bigger than the way you understand reality and even who you are.
that God has something bigger for you, for your name, the name that was placed on you and the things that you have decided have to be the same about you. They don't have to be, but you have to be willing to wrestle and to go through the pain to get there. Y'all hear me right now? Anybody with me? So what are the things you haven't said out loud? What are the things you've been thinking about life that you haven't said out loud to anybody, but it governs all your relationships, all the decisions that you make, that voice in your head that says who you are and who you're not? What are those things? We've got to say those things out loud. We've got to yell to God about those things, to not give up hope that things can be different. So this this type of work, this type of wrestling is about honesty, as honest as you can be. Jacob, he couldn't be that honest. It took him all night to realize he had a limp, all night and into the morning. For most of us, it might even take longer than that. It took me longer than that. It's going to take me longer the next time. We've got to talk to other people about these things. We've got to say these things out loud to other people, what we really think. On the outside, we might look like we got it all together. And on the inside, our voices telling us about how terrible we are and how you'll never measure up and how you're constantly having to earn God's approval for you. You're still trying to answer those voices of how you were named from the beginning, of what was said over what your life was supposed to be like. Asking God to reveal, how am I in the way? Where is the limp I'm failing to acknowledge? Because once you have a limp, you can't help but have to ask for help sometimes, right? If you've got a limp, you can't help but to have to say, hey, can you hand that to me over there? Hey, can, 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 you, can you get that off the top shelf for me, right? Hey, can we take a little break? Because I can't keep walking right now. And that's the blessing. That's the blessing that he was given. Because you know what happens when Jacob encounters his brother? Because he does, and he has all the stops pulled out. When he gets there, his brother who had every right to want to hurt, harm, and even kill him in the rules of this society met him with an embrace and with weeping. So at the end of the day, the way that Jacob finally was able to see a different way to live came from the person who had the right to do him the most harm. So he limps up to his brother with all the gifts and all the things and all the promises and all the bowing that he can muster terrified. And his brother embraces him, weeping. His brother, a strong warrior of a man, a hunter, angry from years ago. And somehow by the grace of God, this happens. And this is what Jacob realizes in this moment as we look at the text, as we see this text here in Genesis 33.10. No, please, Jacob, said Jacob, if I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. So he's trying to give this gift to Esau. And then he says this, for to see your face is like seeing the face of God now that you have received me favorably. What a change in the perspective 
of this man's life. Once he was willing to go through the pain and the wrestling about all of what he had to, decisions he had made up to that point in life, that he could, in that moment of grace, when none of his conniving, none of his gifts, none of his posturing could solve the problem, but it was simply a, an act of mercy and grace that he received from another person. And in his brother, who he had wronged beyond measure, he could then see the very face of God. Can you see the face of God and the people around you? A hope... that is bigger than us requires a God that's bigger than us. It requires a fight bigger than us. And the pathway through that is pain. This is the, this is the story. This is the narrative of the Bible. It's of a people starting with Jacob there, who becomes Israel. A people who think too small of themselves. And so they act in small and petty ways until at some point it stops working for them. And they cry out to a God bigger than them. Finally, finally. You know what Jacob had seen, had seen many images of God. He had met angels on the way. He had seen the famous Jacob's ladder, the, the stairway ascending and descending with angels upon it. And yet it took for his very life to be at stake before he could call out and be willing to have something painfully changed with inside of himself to the point where he had a limp afterwards. The limp is the blessing. And so we see this story, we see this narrative unfold. And the culmination in the scriptures or the, the climax maybe, or one of them is in this person of Jesus who comes, who is willing to wrestle with God and man. And through his death, a death, on a cross, he prevails. What a strange idea. I don't, I, I don't think on a Monday I usually realize what a strange thing that is. And how incredibly hopeful it is to believe that God could look at us and see himself, to see his image in us and say, yes, I'm willing to go through any pain necessary for them to understand that about themselves. To save them. It's a journey for each of us. It's, this was a 
This was a conversion story for Jacob. It was a journey for him to realize that what we make ourselves to be to survive is so much smaller than what God wants for our lives. We have to go through it. I mean, we, we have to go through this sort of struggle, this sort of um, trying to figure it out on our own. Like that's what my son's going through right now as he's growing up before me. He's got, he's got to try it on his own. We all have to try it on our own and say, hey, you know, we got this, we got this you know, God, this manicured God, and he, he stays right here in this little book and, and we can like quote the things we need and that kind of thing. But to grow up is painful. To realize you're not working with a full deck of cards. You're not necessarily the sharpest crayon in the box. You might not have that certain color that you need. So we wrestle. Will we wrestle Christ City? Will we wrestle because of the hope that we've been given as a church? Can we be the place that we want to be? Will we have enough hope to go through the pain to be that kind of place, a place where anyone can belong? What kind of place can anyone belong? A lot of places say it. But to do that, it, it, it's, it does not escape me as we close here that Paul often pairs three things together needed for the Christian, faith, hope, and love. Hope is what we need to keep fighting. If you don't got hope, you need to ask somebody for it. Look at your neighbor, say, give me some hope, please. Try it again. Turn to your other neighbor, say it again. Give me some hope, please. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for uh, this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this thing you've put in our chest, this sense, this feeling, this idea of hope. And I pray that you would allow us each to manifest it more and more in our life, that we would be willing to fight for the things that we have hope about, that we would be willing to trust you more tomorrow than we did today. And that in the ways that we don't, that we would continue to wrestle and fight with you until you make our limps, our failings clear to us so we can ask for the things that you have to offer to us. Thank you for this table that reminds us that as we wrestle and as we struggle, that you still invite us to the table to commune with you, to be with you, to rest in the place that we have in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.